0: Hello and welcome to the D2C podcast, I'm Eric Dick. Today I'm catching up with my good friend, James Petrellis, a 10-year performance marketing entrepreneur who started his pet brand, Mighty Munch, four years ago and after several product iterations has just found true product market fit and is on pace for a highly profitable eight-figure revenue mark in 2022. You're going to hear all about Mighty Munch's epic product market fit journey. You're going to hear about how to shrink your cogs while improving the product, why you should never break out your retargeting budgets on Facebook ads, why email marketing might be overrated if your product solves a problem, and why TV ads represent one of the biggest opportunities for D2C brands. I hope you enjoy it. On with the show.
1: Everyone says creative burns out, it's bullshit. No, it doesn't. If it's a winning campaign and it's working, it's gonna keep going and you're gonna get a lot more out of it. The issue isn't creative burnout, the issue is bad media buying, bad campaign management. Think about it, someone runs a creative that works and it works for like two weeks and then it starts performing terribly and everyone's like, oh, you're the creative burnt out. Are you kidding me? There's millions of people that are gonna purchase from you and you're still gonna be in business two years from now acquiring new customers from people that have never seen your ad before. How is that creative burnt out? It's only burning out if it's being shown to a tiny, tiny audience. That's a media buying problem. If you're narrowing down to a small audience, okay, the creators are gonna burn out, but the answer isn't pump out 10 creatives a day. The answer is change the way you're buying media so that you're not narrowing yourself to this tiny audience, right? Like do it properly where you can actually achieve scale.
0: Kohli's content creation and management platform helps the world's top D2C brands enter new channels, reach more customers, and increase conversions through smarter creative that's authentic, made for you, and meets your needs cost-effectively. Whether you're a brand marketer trying to grow on TikTok with authentic videos, or a performance marketer looking to get more images to test in your ads to improve your return on ad spend, Kohli has the creators and team to shatter your marketing goals visit coley.com slash DTC. That's C-O-H-L-E-Y.com slash DTC to request a complimentary consultation and get on the fast track to better content. Mr. James Petrellis, welcome to the DTC podcast. It's great to speak with you again. Can we start with the Mighty Munch journey? Tell me
1: about how you started Mighty Munch and where it's gotten to today. Absolutely. So um, I've been in uh, the e-commerce space for about 10 years and uh, we've done a whole bunch of different things. We started Mighty Much because we wanted to build a D2C brand that was something consistent, something we can build an asset with, with you know long-term existing repeat purchase customers. Basically build something that we can sell, build a real business and a real brand um, because prior to that we were running like affiliate offers and stuff like that and there was just nothing solid um, or long-term to come from it. Um, it was good. Like we'd make money. If you want to
0: catch up on James's past, we'll link out to our last podcast that we did at the iStack during the iStack podcast days where we went into depth on James's interesting affiliate career, his back to the wall story. Anyway, we'll, we'll get more into that. Sorry to interrupt. Was that 2017? That was 2017. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Interesting times. Yeah. So we, you know, it can make money. It's just that it's just this continuous uphill fight and battle and, you know, it doesn't lead anywhere good. So yeah, we, uh, we started, um, Mighty Munch because we, we just felt like the pet industry was good industry to be in, especially for existing customers to keep coming back and build a loyal, loyal base and all that sort of stuff. Um, my business partner has a dog. I grew up with dogs. We love dogs. Um, we actually initially, I'll, I'll talk about sort of what products we initially thought would work and then how we pivoted. We started Mighty much as a dog food company. So it was premium dog food. You probably remember this, actually, because uh, when we built it, when we first launched, I was in Canada and we were working from the same office. So there were fun times. Yes. But um, uh, What was your kibble purchase that you made? I remember you were, you were talking about like a silo of kibble at one point. Our first ever kibble. <laughs> it was premium kibble that, you know, we had a custom formula. We had that made. Uh, I think I spent sort of somewhere between fifty to a hundred thousand dollars for this first initial order. I think it was a full container, a full forty-foot container. Yeah. It was, yeah, uh, <laughs> it was interesting. So at the time, I thought, all right, cool. Like every uh, you know dog needs to eat, <laughs> and a lot of people love their dogs. So obviously, there's product market fit, right? So let's just do that, and we'll figure it out, sort of thing. And um, my business partner was like, hey, maybe we should just like run some ads or something to a to a squeeze page first and let's just see if there's interest and you know maybe even just kind of test what our CPAs would look like and stuff and I was like nah let's just do it and then like dive in and then we have no choice you know like our backs against the wall we need to make it work and that's you know my theory like that's kind of how we we like to do everything right like just go all in and take the risk and then you know you have no choice so you're going to do it so we did that and and that was definitely a mistake (laughs) because it didn't work. Um, it, it, you know, we we started getting conversions, and, and it was hard. It was really, really hard to get conversions. Um, we had to we had to basically, you know, like every everyone probably listening to this that's started an, on, an online brand is, you know, you go through all the troubles. Like, how do you how do you make creatives? You know, you need a video editor. You need to try and get the UGC. Like, there's just so many things, and it's hard to get all that to work. So initially, it was really expensive and really hard to sort of get conversions coming in, and, and it was expensive. Um, luckily, we had uh, we had some we funded this ourselves, like we had previous, um, you know, like business profits. So we had capital. Um, so we were just pumping capital in and we're like, eventually it'll be profitable. But yeah, so we kept going and essentially it was, it was, yeah, it was just really hard to, to make it work and we kept, we were getting conversions and our break-even point, I think within a few months of running, we were doing some volume, but our break-even point was like six months down the track, right? So we'd have to have, a, you know, the average customer, the average conversion would take six months to pay itself off. And it was like cool. We can like just pump more capital and you know keep it growing, and eventually it'll make profits. And then you know you just keep going a little bit more, and as you you just realize it's just not a, It just doesn't work, right? Like you'll never actually grow. You need you need to be profitable straight away to grow. So then while we were fiddling with the funnels, we started uh, introducing uh, supplements to the funnel as upsells, as post-purchase upsells, and they seem to do quite well. And then. I thought I'd try supplements as a front-end offer just, just to see how it goes. And it was way better, right? So we, so instead of fighting an uphill battle, trying to sell the food and all this stuff, we thought, you know what? Let's just scrap the food entirely and let's switch to supplements. So we tried that and it, it worked better. It was still pretty hard, but it, it worked a lot better than the food. So uh, yeah. A we lot made,
0: less in shipping.
1: Yeah, exactly, right? Like COGS, were, it, and I'll get to COGS and it's extremely important. Yeah. I'll get to COGS in a minute. But um, basically, yeah, the COGS were too high, shipping's too high um, palatability is a huge thing with dogs. So, you know, uh, there's a percentage of dogs that it doesn't matter how good the food is, like not every dog will love a particular type of food. So yeah. that's why I have to try different different But It's very fussy. Yeah. So then you lose, so you get churn and all this stuff. So it was, it was like, yeah, it's basically a terrible decision. So yeah, so we started the supplements and then we just decided, all right, you know what, let's stop the food completely. We donated whatever we had left, which was a, a ton of it, uh, to a bunch of, uh, dog shelters around the United States and that was it. And then, uh, switched to supplements. From there, things got better. It still took like, I mean, we're now uh, into year four of Mighty Munch and only this year is when we actually made everything work. We're actually profitable, like we're profitable uh, on customer acquisition. So we're making profits from day one and we have a ridiculously good repeat purchase rate. We're doing good volume, we're in the eight figures. Everything now is like really, really good, but it's been a very, very hard journey to get there.
0: And so your biggest mistake was probably buying a metric ton of dog food before you knew that there was great product market fit.
1: That was the first biggest mistake. <laughs> we've made, we've made a, couple, a couple of more major, major, major mistakes since then. Um, that was the first one. The second one was, um, our product was a, a supplement in the form of a soft chew. And these soft chews were, the, the cogs were pretty good but not great. And we were using like a private label company to do them for us and all that sort of stuff. So we weren't like, we were pretty much like, we didn't really have a competitive advantage above anyone else running a dob supplement company, right? So any profit or margin was pretty much in like how effective we were at our marketing. And at the time it was okay. So we we're kind of like breaking even for a really long time. Then we started, uh, we're Australian. Uh, we started selling in the US, but we thought like we're Australian, we can do the Aussie market probably quite well, so let's let's try Australia. So we did Australia, we focused a lot on Australia, we figured there's less competition here. And um, we, we uh, ended up building our Australian customer base up quite well. And then what happened was um, we had some, we didn't sort of realize at the time, but we had some issues with um, customs, and we didn't really know this, but there was a, a bit of a gray area, but basically our product kind of fell into a category where there was issues with, um, with customs. So a bunch of our customers' orders were getting seized. Mm. Um and then uh it came to our attention and then we basically had to stop selling in Australia. So we these had These aren't C B D dog chews, are they? They're not C B D could they contain meat <laughs> products, right? Oh, okay. meat oh, by oh product. interesting. Um you know, so we stopped that immediately and then we thought, okay, now that was like a decent amount of capital for customer acquisition, and these guys were at that point becoming profitable, right? So we had like Thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of customers that were repeat purchasing that we had to stop, and uh, that was a huge hit for us because that would have kept like this was back in like twenty eighteen or something, right? So by now, I mean like to calculate the 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 profit that we w- that we've missed out on from if we were to be continuing to now to today, it would be like Ship millions to of the do- United States. You mean from the United States to Australia. Oh, from the United States yesterday, yeah. really. got it. So we're like literally like, <laughs> yeah, the opportunity loss there is just gigantic, right? Like we would have millions of dollars in our pockets. We would be driving Lambos right now, but we're not <laughs> because of that,
0: which is- Another fun, five right? years. I think you're very close there. Is we're joint is joint? choose the
1: final phase of the product or has it evolved since there? No, it's evolved since there. So that was like the second mistake, right? Was not mistake, but second, I guess the biggest learning. Like you you asked me earlier, like what what's the biggest thing in the last 12 months or so that's that's leveraged our business right and it's um it's been our product and our cogs so what we did is uh we made our own formulas found our own ingredients contract manufacturers all that sort of stuff and developed developed our own product essentially and by doing that we got our cogs really far down the hard thing is it just takes a long time right like it, it was it was difficult to do it cost us a lot of money we had to get um people to do formulations i had to be uh we had to consult with uh like lawyers and um, and uh, compliance consultants you know, to make sure that everything would work and labeling requirements and all this stuff. So it's actually in hindsight, if I was to go back and develop another product, it probably wouldn't be in the pet supplement industry or any supplement industry just because it's super highly regulated. But we managed to push through that and then the the positive thing of that is, yeah, we, we now have a product that's ours. We own the IP on it and our cogs are way down, right? And that's been huge, right? Like getting the cogs down enough so that we can get enough margin on our average order values for new new customer acquisition, that's been the biggest thing. Yeah. yeah.
0: What a per, what was the sort of percent drop from where it started to where it is now?
1: Uh, Dropping cogs? Yeah. Oh, um, <laughs> good question. I don't know exactly, but like significant, yeah. very significant. Significant, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That's, yeah. Uh, that's pretty Well, that's the awesome. thing, right? It, that's, it's the true meaning of direct-to-consumer. Yeah. Because if we're private labeling, that's not direct to consumer. That's essentially drop. It's not drop shipping, but it's like kind of like a yeah drop shipping thing. Right. It's an, just another form of distribution. Really? Yeah. You're kind it's, of like, uh, you're taking something that's readily available to anyone anywhere. Right. And then you're just, you're essentially slapping a label and you're essentially just marketing it. Right. Which is great. Yeah. And that's fine. It's fun to do. Um, but the true so the act meaning of
0: creating the product the act of create synthesizing
1: a valuable exactly. product yeah. isn't that the true value of direct to consumer like directly yeah. from the manufacturer to the consumer right like that's the whole point of this um whereas i think a lot of d2c is like it's not they're just mar- sort of marketing company i still consider us a marketing company but you know but a, i think a lot of it's just yeah just sort of like private label essentially it's just like a the next phase of drop shipping right
0: so you've just gone through four years of this like formulation process, making big, bold mistakes, thinking, oh, maybe I should have run some ads and run some lead generation for that. I'm just curious, like on your next thing that you do, which which approach will you take? Will it be another hybrid of like back to the wall um,
1: and, and with a little bit more sort of
0: pre-testing the market?
1: Yeah. I think it's naive to ignore product market fit, but I think it's essential to put you back against the ropes, as we like to call it, right? So I think we've learned a lot over the over the years like back then in 2017 and beforehand we just we just didn't know as much and we didn't know as much about um essentially product market fit and how important that is. So yeah, definitely like next thing I do we'll need to try and prove product market fit as cheaply and as effectively as possible, not with I think we've we've dumped probably of our own personal capital about half a million dollars into Mighty Munch before we got it to work, right? So that's a, that's a huge that's a half a million dollar Before you found your true product market fit. Yeah, and and not just that, like it was just a really hard process where there's so many little things that we had to get in line to make it all work, right? It wasn't just, you know how some people will like find a product or whatever it may be, or design a product, run it and it just works and it it, it just works really well for them and they do really well, that's great. Yeah, Mighty much wasn't that at all. It was like, we were inching along the entire time for the last three and a half years and we're still doing that. It's just, it, it got to a point at maybe seven, eight months ago where it crossed the line of like, now we're actually profitable, right? And scaling, you know? So we're doing, we're doing ridiculous volume and we're actually profitable and it's, it's great, but it was like such an inching along thing, you know, with so many little things.
0: What's your day to day? Like, are you, are you hands on the Facebook? Are you running the Facebook ads yourself?
1: No, to be honest with you, I haven't actually looked at the ads account for a while, <laughs> which is good. Nice. I, I'm really proud of that. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah.
0: I was going to ask though, like about Facebook ads. You you uh, you may not have your hands on the controls, but you're obviously overseeing them, using them in your growth strategy. What what would you say is your most controversial take on Facebook ads?
1: Um, basically, okay. So I'll tell you a story. So, <laughs> so um, the industry has a lot of gurus and theories and you know you jump on these facebook groups and stuff and everyone's like oh let's try this method and that method and then let's do manual bidding or let's do this and let's do that and every month it's like the hot new take right of all these new strategies and that's great like these things these things are good let's call them hacks they're good hacks right but they're not strategies you don't build a business on these things right like we find some method that works that everyone's using and it's like oh if we like bid this much on this or whatever um, you know, we get all these cheap CPAs and stuff, and then everyone does that, and that's great, and everyone wins from so it. We do that too, right? We'll take, we'll listen to those things, and we'll try them, and we'll do them, and they may work. But they only work for like a month, and then the next month, the next guru thing comes out, and this happens. It's not a way to run a business, right? So this was actually um, Borco, my business partner. He kind of like just really like dug in and spearheaded this. He's like, we're not doing that, right? That's it. Like called it. We're not doing it. He's like, I'm digging in. We have got to figure out this Facebook stuff because there's no way. Like this isn't what Facebook's saying. Like Facebook's not saying go and test all this dumb stuff facebook saying run things broad or whatever right just let our algorithm do, do the work you know so he kind of took that on board like he literally went and he's like i'm doing the facebook blueprint course right because he had kept he had kept away from facebook ads. it was me and some other guys and he's like i'm doing the facebook blueprint course and then from there i'm going to because that's what they say right that's the only real any form of real science if anything is from there everything else is you know bro science so so he dug in watch the whole course. And then he came back and he's like, cool, let's try some things. And him and our, our media buyer worked together and they were both on the same page. And they just went broad ads. We focused on creative, things started to work. We'll let the algorithm do its thing. And then, yeah, I guess our biggest controversial thing would probably be what we learned from retargeting, which was we used to separate top of funnel, middle, middle and bottom of funnel into separate campaigns and ad sets and all that sort of stuff. And what we found was you get your cheaper CPAs at the bottom of the funnel, you might be getting like $12 CPAs or whatever, and top of funnel might be you know $50, $60 or whatever it may be. What we found was if we averaged out our total new customer acquisition CPA across everything, it was exactly the same. So what we did two tests, one where we, we separated um, our retargeting and another one was where we merged it all together and just let Facebook retarget, right? So we had like one campaign, broad, zero retargeting. I think the only exclusion was customers who had already purchased, Something along those lines, right? But that was it, right? And what we found was the CPA averaged out exactly the same. Interesting. Exactly the same. So we weren't losing these bottom of funnel conversions. No. We weren't missing out on them. It was, exa- it was Facebook was just doing it for us in a better way than we would do it, right? Interesting. So so what does that save? That that saves time, I guess, right? It allows scale, Ah. right? So what happened was the lower funnel stuff depending how you merge, it, mix, it, mix it, like play around with your budget and stuff, but basically things would burn out quickly, right? And and this is the thing. Everyone says creative burns out.
0: Yeah, creative burns out. Everyone knows it burns Everyone out. Everyone says creative yeah, burns like, yeah.
1: out. It's bullshit. That's absolute bullshit. No, it doesn't. It's absolutely bullshit. Okay, okay, come on. So, okay, I'll just finish this thing about the retargeting. So with the retargeting, the issue is if you separate everything, you have these buckets of audiences that get burnt out very quickly, right? And you always, you're always struggling to scale up, right? Whereas if you have it all together, you let Facebook do it, you put lots of budget in, if it's a winning campaign and it's working, it's going to keep going and you're going to get a lot more out of it, right? The issue isn't creative burnout. The issue is like bad media buying and bad campaign management. It's not creative burnout. Think about it. Like someone runs a creative, right? In a Someone that has like a, there's a large audience. You run a creative that works and it works for like two weeks and then it starts performing terribly and everyone's like, oh, you're the creative burnt out. Are you kidding? Like, are you kidding me? There's millions of people that are going to purchase from you and you're still going to be in business two years from now acquiring new customers, right? From people that have never seen your ad before yeah anyway so like how is that creative burnt out how is that possibly burning out how is it possibly burning out it's only burning out if it's being like shown to a tiny tiny audience which isn't a creative problem that's a media buying problem and so how many creatives will you run per ad set per, uh, that to be specific like that i don't know but i think we'd always be running like less than 10. way less than 10. interesting way less than 10. some of our creatives now we've been running for like a year and they're still going I'm being controversial but it's just one of those things like it just depends how you, it just depends how you're buying traffic like if you're narrowing down to a small a small audience yeah okay the creatives are going to burn out but then the answer isn't pump out 10 creatives a day the answer is change the way you're buying media so that you're not narrowing yourself to this tiny little audience right like do, do it properly where you can actually achieve scale because otherwise it's just this weird looping thing of like you're pumping all these creatives everything's burning out all the time you're spending all your time on media buying all your time on creative right like we have, we have a team. Uh, like you know, our actual Facebook media buying time spent is probably like a couple of hours a day, if that. Right? It shouldn't be like if you're if you're spending six hours a day, on in Facebook as a manager, you're doing it wrong. <laughs> like you're absolutely doing it wrong.
0: And it just makes sense if you include this up into the, into the broader ad set and just include the creatives you'd include there, like Facebook will figure out which, which creatives to show when, and then that data will be fed up more appropriately and it'll benefit the whole more. This is all directly from the blueprint. It's from their, their five, their, what is it? The fast five, not the fast five, the power of five. Five, Yeah.
1: Something like that. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, you know, it's, it makes sense logically. And then, yeah, we just thought like, let's just ignore All the guru stuff, and let's just just do what Facebook says. Let's just do our own things, and just just see what happens from that. And um, that's been huge. Just basically, I I try really like I mean I I read your newsletter all the time. I try to keep myself distance from the the internet marketing community, and I don't get me wrong, I love I identify like that's how we met the community the most. That's how we met. I've met all my best friends from there. I absolutely love it. Um, But I love it socially. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like I don't want to take on board everything everyone says, you know? And everyone's got value to give. Don't get me wrong. Like these gurus and stuff, they'll say stuff and we'll test it. And some of it will work and it's great. And sometimes you'll have a conversation or they'll say some kind of offhand comment. And you're like, actually, that's kind of awesome. I can apply that to my business and it will work. It will work great. Um, So no doubt there's a ridiculous amount of value there. But I just think like... um, you know, a lot of people just yeah really focus on that next hack, in terms of their media yeah. buying or creative type, and you know it's just I don't know I just don't it's it's good it's really good it's just it's not the way to you shouldn't have your business fully relying on that you need to test which may take us to one. well you need to test but not just that you need you need you know you need something that's consistent right so what we do is like if if we can't okay so uh, so Borco my business partner with his whole strategy with how we're going to go about Facebook was like if we can't repeat it it's not a lesson learned it was just a hack right Mm. do you get what i mean so it's like how do we get how do we learn more about how to buy media and how to use facebook is it the only time we'll ever take something on board and put it in our you know bank of how to run facebook is is if it's repeatable and we can keep doing it forever and if it builds on the whole yeah because if it's something that we test like with could we we used to you know throw a bunch of crap at the wall and see what sticks right which is cool you can do that stuff like i said we still do but that's not learnings and that's not how you run a business.
0: I think I think testing discipline is something that people have trouble with—is actually just formulating their tests and really sticking to them, making sure that they get you know clean results. they they're you know, and, and I think that's something that you ex- have excelled with. You've run some other interesting tests. Uh, recently, ran a test around your email marketing. Can you tell us about that? I can.
1: We're still we're still in the process of this, but I'll tell you what our our theory is with email. I think email is awesome. I just think that there's. Um, a lot of cannibalization that happens, and it's different with every business, but with ours being a, a supplement business where we have repeat customers and subscribers and stuff. What we found is we thought we would try not doing email for a little bit, right? Let's maybe try three months, six months. Blasphemy. Let's just, yeah, exactly, right? So, so we, we got our product right. You know, we've got our own our own product, our own intellectual property there. Really, really, really good product that people love. Um our cogs are good our marketing is good we're profitable we're scaling really well like let's just try not doing email and let's just see what happens purely let's just see what happens so we've actually done pretty much no marketing to existing customers i think our only email flows for a really long time was um abandoned cart and that was it we thought we'd establish a a repeat uh a returning customer rate baseline which we have at the moment it's pretty high it's like almost 40 percent i think at the moment um maybe more over a six month period. With zero email. Yeah, exactly, with zero email, right? So this is just people coming back. And because this is the thing, we sell a product that is a problem solution product, right? It, It solves a problem for people, that's why they buy it. So when they buy it, if it does solve their problem, there's a good chance a lot of those guys are gonna come back and keep buying. If it doesn't solve their problem, they're not, right? So like how do you how do you get the best repeat customer rate? The first step isn't email marketing. The first step is get your product right so that people actually it actually solves a the problem. They want to come back and keep using it, right? Like that's the biggest thing you can do. Now the question will be what can email add on top of that, I guess? What can it add on top of that? Exactly right. And and look, it will, 100%, right? Especially cross-selling. But we want to get a baseline on like who repeat buys the same product, who which existing customers buy other products when they come back to the store. What does that look like? It's very high. Adding email to that is definitely gonna help, like, no doubt in my mind. But I just think a lot of the a lot of the community is like, oh, email's like the bees knees, it's everything you get, like 30% of your revenue plus from email, right? It's essential. Maybe it's not 30%, maybe it's 5%. Maybe it's 10, I don't I don't know. All, all we're saying is like, we want to like <laughs> I don't know, like we've lost revenue, obviously, and margin like and profit doing this, but it, we just really wanna know like how much will email affect it. So I'll touch base with you, you know, in the next six months as we start building out our flows and campaigns and we'll see, we'll do a case study. We'll actually see what those numbers look like exactly and share it with the industry.
0: It's just controversial because I've heard Facebook, you know, the the fa- the amount of credit that Facebook is actually you know taking credit from other channels in your business, but I feel like people think of email as a baseline of like, you know, that these are ones that I'm driving with email cuz it's last click and but you don't know that they weren't just ready to buy or that they weren't going to buy anyways cuz they have the they still have this problem.
1: And look, every business is different and people find different ways to acquire customers. Some of them do like email pops and all this stuff and then flows. I I mean, I'm not I'm not I'm not bagging email. I'm just saying, like, it's yeah, it's something that um, I feel is overrated, and you know, we'll report back with what with what comes from it. And it just shows you what happens when you've got a
0: product that you've really thought out and that solves problems. That's really, and I hear this again and again in the podcast, like how much easier everything gets when you have true product market fit. It just you know, if you lead with that and kind of build off of that in a in a cumulative way, like that's the way to go.
1: Because what we found as well, like we've done, we do campaigns here and there, right? And we typically find that if we do an email campaign, all we're doing is bringing forward existing customer purchases that will happen later anyway. That's it. Mm. Um, It's always balanced out so far. So, so far the testing we've done, it's like whether we did the email or didn't do the email, we'd end up with the same, right? Over maybe a a longer period of time or over the same period of time? Exactly, yeah. No, over a longer period of time. Because you're bringing them forward. So we do we do a we do a campaign and then over the, over those next thirty days or so our repeat customer rate drops hmm. because of that email. You harvest don't it. do it, yeah. So so far that's roughly. I, know, I mean, this isn't an exact science, but this is what we're observing at the moment. It's just something. To, it's just something to be aware of, right? That's all. You know. It's time to let your customers enjoy the products they
0: love without the friction of reordering. That's why the world's most innovative brands like Pete's Coffee and Il Makiage rely on Order Groove subscriptions to build long-lasting customer relationships and deliver recurring revenue. Order Groove integrates with all e-commerce platforms, making the experience easy to manage and seamless for shoppers. From enrollment incentives to churn-fighting AI, Order Groove gives your business the tools it needs to be the next big subscription success story. Visit ordergroove.com/dtc to receive two months off your first contract. What does your distribution mix look like at this point? Like, are, are you on Amazon? So. <laughs> You're not on um, Amazon. We'll get there, we'll get there. Wait, uh, and I would just, I, I ask because Mighty Munch is such a good brand recognition piece, which is something I know is really a, on Amazon, does quite well, like having a good brand, you know,
1: to stand out. When we started, we were on Amazon, uh, when we were doing soft shoes in the United States, um, we, we had an Amazon listing. It wasn't getting organic Amazon sales, but it would get brand search sales. So, you know, someone sees a Facebook ad, they go to Google, they come back to our website or they see the Amazon listing, they go to Amazon, they buy through there. It definitely helped there. So we'd see an exact uh, correlation between Facebook ad spend and Amazon purchases. That's always good. I mean, I, I think that's something everyone should do. It's just that it's been it's been such, a, we've had so much on our plate changing products <laughs> and finding the right product market fit and finding the products that get the best results for customers and all that sort of stuff where we haven't, There's probably no excuse, but we pretty much, we haven't had time to go back and set up our Amazon listings for our new products and all that sort of stuff. And we're only just relaunching in the US with our new products, right? Like we launched in Australia first, we got New Zealand, Canada, um, US is starting in the next, in the next couple of weeks. So as that builds up, we'll get our Amazon going. Amazon in Australia and I mean, in Canada, I think it's pretty good, but in Australia, Amazon's not popular. It's not really working at the moment. Yeah. Did not know that. Oh no, it's it's uh we have some other websites. We have catch.com.au. Um that's probably our biggest I think that's our biggest online retailer. We have uh, eBay. eBay's yeah. crushing Amazon still. So I think uh, yeah and, and maybe just a matter of time, but Amazon at the moment's not it's very 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 early days. I think I heard from somebody and don't quote me on this, but I heard from somebody that out of all the countries outside of the US that Amazon has launched in, Australia has been the either the worst or the second worst um attempt. Interesting, but don't quote me on that. I'm, I'm just pretty sure I heard that. So you guys
0: wouldn't be letting him take down a historic bridge to get his yacht to the ocean, like he's currently doing in <laughs> uh, <laughs> wherever that is.
1: Yeah, yeah, uh,
0: pretty yeah. wild. But in I saying like
1: that, if you jump on early, it's, that's a good thing too. So we're hoping to, you know, get into Amazon and maybe if it does grow, then we'll grow with it, and that will be a good advantage. So
0: we'll see. It will at some point. You'd have to think. Mm. Uh, it just hasn't been. Interesting. has such a strong yeah. foothold still. Yeah. Yeah, it really does. What about some other, any other unconventional channels that you've sort of tested in the ads and any
1: results there? Um, probably not yet. Um, what are you most excited about? I'm most excited about TV, funnily enough. I think TV could be could be great. There are other e-commerce, DTC brands advertising on TV that do very, very well with very, very good CPAs. Um, and I think it's one of those things where our... our industry right we we focus online we can track everything um people can click and then buy straight away and we think that's that's like the best way and then we look at tv and we're like well you know that's more for just branding right um but i actually think that's that's wrong and i'm very very excited to test it we're actually in the process now we're at the stage of actually building our tv creatives um and we're going to do a run and see how it goes why are you so excited about TV? Like what are the fundamentals? Like who, who who
0: watches TV and who buys your product? Is there a big overlap with those two things? Probably. You know how
1: like business owners should know who their customer is and so <laughs> do I know who our customer is exactly? It's quite broad. It's, it's actually very broad. Our customer, we it's mostly like, um, I think like 35 plus um, male, female dog owners all over. It's, it's actually quite a broad broad audience. But um, so one, we have a broad audience. So I think TV can help there. But two, I think a lot of the talent over the last five years or even longer has gone all to digital, right? Everyone into marketing, advertising, they're all going digital. And I think TV is kind of been left behind. It's like this dinosaur. But it's a huge thing that's always worked for so long, right? So I just feel like giving that a go, I don't know, it might be interesting because the other thing is the barrier to entry is very high. Or it's seemingly very high. It's seemingly very high, I should say, because you go and speak to a TV agency or a channel directly and they say, okay, cool, you know, you need to spend like fifty dollars to $100,000 in your first month for your ad placements and then you need, create, you need to have the creatives done, right? And we'll recommend you to this agency or we do it in-house or whatever. What do the creatives cost? Oh, yeah, it's like $60,000 for like a 30-second ad, right? And you have all this high-end production gear and all this stuff and script writers and we'll make this really nice branded piece for you um, so you're gonna end up spending like you know two hundred thousand dollars. You're gonna get awesome branding. You're gonna get this crazy reach, and that's awesome, right? And then us as DTC owners that run online businesses, we, we look at that and we're like, no, like, hell no, We'd never do that. So, so how-, how do you find what's the performance middle ground for d owners? Well, what we're doing. Well, well, this is the thing. So what we're doing is like we're we're lucky enough to be in a position at the moment where we have a, a media team, right? Like we have employees. We have a videographer. We have video editors. Um, we have a, a ton of customers all around the world but we also have a ton of customers in our city here in Melbourne so we actually contact these customers, we interview them, we talk to them we visit their house, our video guy goes to their house and he, he speaks with them and records interviews and uh, you know gets before and after footage and all that sort of stuff so we have a lot of that that we use anyway for our Facebook ads so a lot of that costs, like us being able to produce these videos in-house And I don't think you need crazy shooter gear. I think a DSLR and a lapel mic is enough for TV. And
0: again, you're applying some of those online principles of UGC essentially uh, into the TV format, which will stand out there for
1: people, right? That's what I'm most excited about.
0: Yeah. UGC is rocket fuel. I
1: just, do you know what I mean? It has yeah. to work. <laughs> it has to work.
0: I don't know. I love it. You wouldn't want to test it first. No. Just. <laughs> no. no I, just you can't. can't be, it's anti- not going to cost much. I wanted to ask about that. Like, how are you going to one of these big agencies in order to do the buying? Or are you calling up your TV station and trying
1: to buy ads? It's similar. Like, I've spoken to an agency and I've spoken to a, a channel directly, and um, Traditionally, the channels would never deal with customers directly, but I think now they're change- at least in Australia they're they're changing and actually building uh, their own like internal sort of agency that manages smaller clients. Um, but prior to I think recent times, it was like you had to go through an agency. But yeah, for the buying side, yes, and to be honest, they have they don't they don't know my- and it's so. It puts you off right like i chat to the i chat to the guy i explain we're a performance marketing company right like this is what we do we track everything it's all about the cpa i don't care about branding at all right and i don't care about reach it means nothing to me and then they come back and they talk to you and they present you their they present you their deck with everything and it's like it's it's actually useless it means nothing to me right so in my head i'm like what we're going to do is we're going to produce our own ad. It's going to be a problem solution, proper you know, direct response D2C branded type of ad that we know works, that we've tested with millions of dollars on Facebook. So we're going to run that. We're going to get some good UGC. We, we have good UGC. We have lots of before and afters, lots of real good testimonials from our Aussie customers. So we're going to put together some creatives um, and we're going to run them and we're just going to see what happens. You know, you can't, you, you can't go to an agency and be like, do this for me. But we want to try and do it, you know, try and do it this way. And, and look, it's, it's, it's not a crazy risk. Like it's going to cost, you know, $50,000, $60,000, which sounds like a lot. And, and it is. But we spend a lot more than that. And as for, a, say, a one month's worth of ads, just to get enough of a baseline to see if this is something that looks promising or not. But we spend a lot more than that on Facebook, a lot more than that per month. So so it's it's not a crazy, crazy, crazy idea, I don't think. So next year we could see you on the Super Bowl. Ooh, that'd be fun.
0: Not quite, not quite there yet, but I love, I love that TV is something that more and more D2C brand owners are testing just because it is such a powerful medium. Um, And it is, I think it's such an interesting point that, you you know, you don't have that direct click to conversion experience, Mm -hmm. but you know, there's so much value in that organic experience and there's so much value to all of your ad channels. Uh, I would, I would recommend that you be on Amazon before you do TV. Yeah.
1: You know, what's funny as well. Yeah. We've focused so much on like landing pages that our actual main site is so terrible that if I ran a TV ad and all this traffic came to our main site, they'd be like, what the hell is this? Like, it looks like a store that does like $7 a week in revenue, right? Like it's terrible. It's like the standard Shopify theme. <laughs> it's, it's pretty funny. So yeah, I've got a lot of work to do on, the, on that front as well. Like be on all the um, marketplaces, get our website right and all that sort of stuff for all that search traffic to come through properly.
0: What's your biggest goal for 2022 with Mighty Munch?
1: Um, to be honest with you, I want to get into a position where we can be acquired or sell. Not that we will. I just want to get there. I think we've done so much grunt work and we've gotten to the point where we're in a very strong position, I feel. Like with a strong moat, it's very hard to bring down what's been built up just because it took so long. So it's not just some quick win. And I just think that, yeah, I mean, I want, to, I want to keep growing revenue. We're on a very good growth rate right now. And I think by the end of the year, we'll be... Um, in the multiple eight-figure range, for sure. Like, it uh, should be pretty good. <laughs> um, and I don't know. I don't know whether I'd want to sell the business or not. My biggest goal is I want to get into, into the position where we can sell the company, right? But we're actually treating the company like we're not going to sell it in the sense that we're gearing it to make as much profit as possible, right? So provide as much value to customers as we can so that we actually get profit back. I think that's the only way it works. And that's it, right? So, like, we, wanna, we want it to make as much profit as it can. And then if someone at that point wants to talk about buying the company, then we can definitely have that conversation. But what I'm not doing is trying to get as much revenue and growth as possible without the profit. And especially without the profit on new customer acquisition, which I feel is is rare at the moment, right? Like I feel a lot of people get investment. They pump a lot of money into growth. They're not profitable up front, and it's a bit of a, a, bit of a gamble. Um, and I don't know if these owners are actually pulling money out, how much they are and how that works. Um, I want to learn more about that. If anyone wants to talk about that, hit me up. But, um, I just think that, yeah, like just build it for profit. Right. Yeah. And then you're in so
0: much of a better position because then if someone coming in wants to buy it, they, you know, you're in this, you're in such a more powerful position. You know what I mean? Because you're, you've built it for this, for this lifestyle and to, you know, to, you know, grow the the lives of your employees and your, you know, your partners
1: and, and all of that. Definitely. But that's the thing, right? Like I almost feel like if you want to get acquired, I don't know if there's this bubble going on or, or there's too much capital available, but I feel like th- I feel like if we actually wanted to sell or get acquired, we should focus on revenue, right? Revenue and growth and forget about profit. And then we'd probably sell for a higher multiple, right? Maybe, I don't know. But it's just one of those, it, I just, it doesn't sit right with me. I'm, I feel like a real business makes profit. Someone acquiring a business wants to see that profit and that is funding itself and that it's growing. I, I don't know. Honestly, I don't know. I really don't know enough about it. So this year I, I want to educate myself. I want to speak to people that buy DTC brands, people that have sold DTC brands. And I just want to learn, I'm, I'm super like amateur at this. I really, really want to know how that whole thing works. Oh, I've got some connections for you. Oh, that, that would be excellent, excellent. But I'm just treating every day like it's our own business and that we're going to keep it forever. And that it needs to make profit. And the only way to do that is to sell a good product so that people come back and keep buying and it actually solves a problem. So that's our—that's just our biggest focus.
0: It's so great to just hear about your evolution because you've been a marketer, as you say now, for over 10 years. You've sold a lot of things. We've both been in the affiliate space. And the affiliate space is all about like, you know, making the marketing do the work, making your landing pages do the work. And for you to evolve to this point where you whittle down to finding like a bit of a silver bullet product market fit, right? And then letting that do so much of the heavy lifting to the point where you can sit back and say that you're not even going to test emails or Amazon and still see this great, you know, growth to uh, eight figures. It's it's impressive.
1: Don't get me wrong. It's it's definitely still, like the marketing is obviously super important. And I'm, and I'm not going to lie. Like it's the little inching increments of marketing optimizations that we've done in terms of our funnel, our pricing, our cogs, our creatives, everything. Your landing pages, everything. Yeah, Yeah. but but what I was more getting at is like the base needs to be good to start with, right? Otherwise, yeah, house of cards, which we've had twice. And this is version three of Mighty Munch, right? So it's like no more house of cards stuff, no more quick wins. It's going to take a while. We accepted that and let's just do it, you know? But you got it now. You've got the foundation set, it sounds like. Yeah.
0: We got it. Yep. Yeah. Well done. If people want to get in touch with you to uh, either, uh, you know,
1: talk, chat with you about investing uh, or, or anything, how do you recommend they do that? Honestly, probably just uh, Instagram. I'm most active on Instagram still, probably an old man. I'm not, I'm not a TikTok guy yet, but um, just, uh, just my name, James Petralis, is my handle, just DM um, or email is just uh, Petralis at gmail.com. And we'll do a small plug here. You're headed off for uh, a trip soon, headed off to Dubai. I am. Yep. Super excited. First time traveling in two years. Been uh, locked down in Melbourne for a while. So uh, yeah, absolutely cannot wait. I've already packed. Usually I pack like that morning, but I've packed like two weeks in advance. Uh, Shout out to Affiliate World for this, uh, what will surely be an amazing
0: event of all these people that you like to hang out with, but don't always like to listen to exactly all
1: their ideas. (laughs) No, I love listening to them. Uh, absolutely. Absolutely. But yes. Yeah, super excited! Should be like a big reunion for all internet marketers around the world. So nice. Well, I will catch you at the next one, sir. Sounds good.
0: Thanks so much for listening to today's episode. If you're not a subscriber to our newsletter, you can do that right now at directtoconsumeralloneword.co. I'm Eric Dick, and this has been the D2C podcast. We'll see you next time.